All right, this morning uh, we have the opportunity, we're very blessed to have a, a special guest speaker, uh, Griffith Vertican. Uh, in your bulletin, there is a handout for the sermon, and so you can take notes on this particular handout. There's also a commitment card that Griffith is going to refer to a little bit later. Uh, but we're very excited to have Griffith Vertican. Uh, Griffith comes with high credentials. He is an attorney at law, a uh, graduate of Point Loma University. Uh, he also is a speech and debate champion uh, in secular uh, speech and debate competitions, national champion, and uh, professional mountain bike rider. Is that correct? Yeah, somewhat. Okay. And, um, and also, Griffith has, has trained um, speakers around the country. In fact, he has a number of students who are national champions in both speech and debate. And uh, we've asked him to come today uh, to speak uh, both during our Sunday school hour. Um, this morning, he, talked on, he gave us the case for moral excellence, a talk to our parents, um, but also for our young people. And... Uh, Today I won't give up his topic, but we're just very excited to have Griffith Vertican with us. Uh, let's welcome Griffith. All right. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Well, I'm excited to be here. You know, whenever I get back into my uh, hometown, I grew up in the uh, mountains of Crestline and Lake Arrowhead. Uh, how many y'all have been up that way? Everybody, yeah. Well, you know, if you live up in the mountains, um, the one thing you have to do is keep your eyes on the road. This is a lesson I learned uh, when I was a younger man. Uh, one morning, I was uh, working at the conference center, uh, well, by the conference center up there at the Christian school. And I was on my way to work, and I had picked myself up a warm, chocolate, fresh donut. Uh, I don't know about any of you. Is there any other, like, chocolate donut fans here today? Uh, excellent. I feel you guys. Uh, I am a huge chocolate donut fan. And so um, it is my delectable delight, my dark temptation, and I was enjoying this donut. I had set it on the passenger seat. And as I was driving along on my way to work, I uh, continued to uh, be able to nibble and consume it. And that was my plan. You know, why wait for when I get to work? Let's just eat it now. That was, that was my goal. And so I set it on the passenger seat. And as I was driving along, I came around a hairpin turn, full 180-degree turn. And out of the corner of my eye, I noticed my donut roll onto its side and begin to roll off the seat towards the dusty flo floorboard. So in a moment of sheer bravery or stupidity, I took my eyes off the road to try to catch my donut. I was like, donut, no. <laughs> and as I reached down to try to catch my donut, I took my eyes off the double yellow lines, uh, off the road, and, and towards my donut. And in that instant, my car went over the double yellow lines and launched off the side of the mountain. I looked up just as my car was catching air and sailing among the trees. And I was probably only airborne for less than a second or so, but for that second, it was an eternity to me. It was like time just kind of stood still and everything went into slow motion. And there was my car, airborne, an old boxy Hyundai Excel, not meant for jumping. 
And there I am, I'm airborne, and, and, and I'm just looking around, and I can see, like, birds flying by my car, and they're looking at me like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I don't know, I was eating a donut, and now I'm up here with you guys. And, and, and as they say, you know, when you're about to die, your life flashes before you, and mine did, and I remembered where I, you know, lost my favorite socks, they were behind the dresser the whole time, and it came back to me. And as it did, I, I just, it just hit me. I'm like, man, what if I'm about to die? I'm like, what a ridiculous way to die. I'm like, what are they going to put on my tombstone? I always knew junk food would kill me. I just never imagined how. <laughs> or true love waits, dot, 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 but the donut didn't. <laughs> and, and there I was thinking that my life is coming to an end. And, and I thought, man all over a donut, all because I wouldn't wait. But as they say, what goes up must come down, and come down my car did. Uh, One tree branch missed piercing my lungs by about 18 inches. It ripped through the passenger side glass. Another branch ripped open the back hatch like a tin can, broke glass everywhere, and a small tree kept my car from going all the way over the side of the mountain, or I would have ended up Uh, in a ball of fire at the bottom of the hill. And so my life was saved for a small tree. And you want to know what the worst part was? I never found that donut. (laughs) After all that, my donut was gone. But I learned an important lesson that, man, it's so important that we keep our eyes on the road. And when it comes to the topic of sexual purity, I can think of no other topic that has such disastrous consequences when we take our eyes off of the narrow path God has set for us and we go our own way. That when we begin to deceive ourselves and think, hey, I don't need to wait for God's plan. I can do things my own way. We begin to reap what we sow. And those consequences are often worse than what we could have imagined. And I want to point out to us this morning that, man, we are called not to deceive ourselves. And that God has called us to look and examine our lives so that we live as the wise do and not as the foolish. And nowhere I think is that needed more today than in the topic of sexual purity. You know, I, I, when we look at what the Bible says on this topic, it's really quite clear. But the problem is most young people today have no clue what the Bible says. In fact, a a study was done, a nationwide survey done of Christian teenagers on March 12, 2008. And it, it, it found that the rate of biblical illiteracy in today's youth is reaching levels we've never seen before. This study had four specific findings. Number one is that fewer than half of them couldn't name the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John couldn't name those. 12% thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 60% could not name five of the Ten Commandments. And a whopping 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. That's one marriage that burned to the ground, I'll tell you that. 
But what that does tell us is that we are living at a time in a day and age where so many young people are clueless when it comes to the area of sexual purity. There's nothing on television that's going to tell them the right way to live. And everything we can find on the internet, especially on YouTube, is giving them all the worst advice and telling them that there's no other choice and that basically, if it feels good, do it. And yet God's standard is radically different than that. And it's time that we expose those lies. And that's why the key verse that you have on your outline this morning is from Ephesians 5.11. And it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We as Christians are called to be the abolitionist. Like William Wilberforce, we are called to rescue those who are in bondage. You know, William Wilberforce became famous in the late 1700s and into the early 1800s because of his battle to end the slave trade in England. But do you know that Wilberforce actually had two great objectives in his life? One was the slave trade, but as he wrote in his journal, the other big objective of his life, the big mission that he felt God had called him to live out, was what he called the Reformation of Manners. And the Reformation of Manners had nothing to do with personal etiquette had everything to do with the moral depravity that he saw in, in England at that time, in 18th century England. See, at that time, up to 25% of teenage girls were involved in prostitution. And that alcohol addiction and sexual immorality went hand in hand in England, and it was rampant throughout his society. And he saw the need to address that issue. And his goal was this mission, how do I make morals fashionable. In other words, how do I make it relatable? How do I reach the unreached people with God's message of moral purity? And and his mission became one that still is relevant today for us and is needed more than ever. And, And that begins when we can recognize that, man, the world is telling us a lot of lies when it comes to sex, but we can tell ourselves lies as well. We can tell ourselves lies. In fact, the What my subtitle of today's talk is exposing the three biggest lies Christians tell themselves. And we're going to address each one of those. We're going to look at how uh, sexual sin is is really different than other types of sin. We're going to look at the lies Christians tell themselves about the culture and popular culture they consume. And then finally, we're going to look at what it takes for us to be successful and how we need to expose the lie we tell ourselves that keeps us from success. So let's start with the first lie. Sexual sin is no different than other types of sin. Now, on one level, I'm sure you've heard someone say that all sin is the same. And and in one sense, that's true. Uh, All sin is an offense to God. Uh, All sin is a uh, uh, missing the mark. All sin, it shows that we are in need of a savior. That's true. But, But not all sin carries the same consequences. And not all sin has the same ramifications. And sexual sin in particular is very different than other types of sin. In fact, the core truth is that we want to understand that no other sin so damages your testimony and intimacy with the Lord as this one does. No other sin so damages your testimony and intimacy with the Lord as this one does. 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20 puts it this way. Flee from, from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The implication of this passage is twofold. First, we have to recognize that our testimony is directly connected to our sexual conduct. You know, nothing takes down more pastors and ministries than sexual sin. In my hometown of Lake Arrowhead, my childhood pastor ended up having an affair. And let me just tell you that that church that he was the pastor of, even though this happened over 15 years ago, has never really fully recovered from that, from that decision. And let me just tell you that while God forgives and he can restore relationships, there is a serious consequence, especially with non-believers and your credibility towards them when you sin sexually. The, the second implication that we can see is that the intimacy with the Lord is lost. You know, King David talked about how it was rotting his bones to keep his sexual sin hidden. And, and that as he kept his sin uh, of his uh, uh, affair with Bathsheba hidden from the rest of the world, that it was like cancer eating his bones. And that, see, as long as we keep sexual sin unconfessed, it, it holds us in bondage. And don't you know that when you keep sin unconfessed, you allow the enemy to have a foothold in your life and he can tell you all sorts of lies. Lies like, uh, my parents would never accept me if they knew what I was struggling with. Lies like, no one would, would understand what I'm going through. Lies like, I'm not hurting anyone else by doing this. But those lies are exposed when we bring them out to the light. And the power that the enemy has in your life when you have unconfessed sin, you break his stronghold when you bring it out into confession and bring it out into accountability and light. And so that's why God makes it so clear to us that we're to confess our sins one to another, that it's through the confession of sins, especially in this area, that we have accountability and healing and counseling that can take place. But that can only take place when we're courageous enough to admit that we need help and that we have a problem. And so that's where it begins to understand that this lie has to be exposed by bringing it out into the light. You know, idol worship back in the early church went hand in hand with sexual sin. Any study of the Greek and Roman empires will tell us that their idol worship especially with the, the, the god of Baal and the Asher poles and other things that they had at that time, went hand in hand with temple prostitution. But as Pastor Chuck Swindoll points out, that from the beginning, what separated Christianity from all the other religions was that Christianity stood for moral purity. In fact, he puts it this way, Christianity is supremely the champion of purity. It's always been that way. From the establishment of the early church of our Christian faith, the one thing that separated us from non-believers is that Christians stood for sexual purity. That, that what was hand in hand with our testimony with the rest of the world is we didn't engage in the sexual and moral contact as everyone else. And, and, and so this we can see as, as so true to our walk with God today and our testimony with non-believers today. That this area, it's going to ripple and it's going to impact our testimony with other people. And when we have unconfessed sin and ongoing sin in our life, we weaken our ability to have a testimony with non-believers. That's a core truth. That's a truth you can apply to your life. In fact, 
uh, when Paul writes to the, first, the, the Corinthians church uh, in, in Corinth, um, he's writing to a culture that's like our modern-day Las Vegas that was prevalent for, for temple prostitution and sexual immorality. In fact, even the word Corinthicize was a slur for sexual misconduct. And, and so he's writing to a culture that is known for inundated and saturation of, of sexual misconduct. And, and, and if you look at that, that time of Corinth, you'll see that it really mirrors a lot like modern-day America. But Pastor Chuck Swindoll says there's one difference between modern America and uh, first-century Corinth is that at least in first-century Corinth, the church was pure. But today, the church is becoming more and more Im- impure like the rest of the world. In fact, Relevant Magazine reported that 80% of Christian singles ages 18 to 35 uh, now admit to having sexual immorality outside of marriage. They're having sexual relations. 87% saw no problem with it, that it was acceptable conduct. When we live that way, we no longer have the light of God shining through uh, holiness and purity in our life. Because, see, if God is our temple inside of us, it's called to be sacred. And just as he had very strict laws on how the temple was to be kept clean, when we engage in sexual impurity, what we're doing is it's like we're taking pig's blood and smearing it in his temple. We're defiling it. Now, the one thing that can wash that temple white as snow is the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad that you don't have to live in the guilt of your past sins? That, that Jesus has freed us from our past mistakes, but we have to be willing to, to take action that's in keeping with the fruit of our repentance. Jesus put it this way, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In other words, it, it's great that we praise Jesus with our lips and we sing songs about it, but if our lifestyle doesn't match up, he would rather have our lifestyle match up than our words. And so it's important that we evaluate our life so that we're not giving a foothold to the enemy in this area of our life. Which brings me to core truth number two. Unchecked sexual sin will ultimately destroy your life. You know, really, does the Bible do foreshadowing where it, where it tells you what your life is going to be like when you reject God's word? But in this passage of Proverbs chapter 5, as we looked at this morning, it does just that. In the key verses of 11 through 14, we hear the father's instruction to the son about sexual relationships. And and he says to his son, he, he tells him, he says, if you reject my advice, if you don't listen to what I'm about to say, you're going to look back on your life and you're going to regret it. You're going to say some of the saddest words written in the Old Testament. Oh, how I wish I would have listened. Look at the passage with me. It's in Proverbs chapter 5, 11 through 14. It's on your outline. In the end, here's what will happen to you if you pursue the sexual and moral relationship. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. When I was working at the school um, that I was on my way to to go to while while eating the donut that fateful day, um, I'd become friends with the vending machine guy there. 
And the vending machine guy and I were about the same age. And so we had, um, as young men, you know, uh, struck up a good friendship and talked about, you know, relationships and dating. And I had told him about uh, how I was involved with True Love Waits and what that ministry stood for. And he was polite and, and had good conversations with me. And, and then he went his way in life and I went my way and we didn't see each other for years. Then one day I was visiting Glen Helen Correctional Facility and I was uh, visiting a relative who was in jail at the time. And you know how if you've ever been to jail, you go and you sit in those little booths and you, you talk on, on the phone to the person through the glass. Uh, and, and, and you have your booth and they, they set up people down the rows as they talk to their friends and relatives as well. Well, as I was talking to my relative, I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone I recognized. It was the vending machine guy. And I, I thought, man, what is he doing in here? And he saw me, and he recognized me, and I recognized him. And, and so I went over to his phone, and I, I talked with him for a bit. And, and I asked him, you know, what happened? How did he end up in here? And, and he told me these words almost verbatim from Proverbs 5. He says, you know, Griff, how you used to talk to me about your abstinence program and that whole true love waits thing. He said, man, I didn't listen. Instead, I, I, when I was 19, you know, I, I slept with my girlfriend who was underage, and they convicted me for statutory rape, and now I'm serving a jail sentence for that time. And in that one mistake, his reputation and, and his testimony and the trajectory of his life changed. And it's not that God can't forgive and restore that young man, but there is real consequences to his life. And I know if he was here today he would tell me to plead with you to listen. Because for some of you, this is the last talk you're going to hear before you're face-to-face with temptation. And what you decide today will determine what you do then. And, And so if God can use me to help correct the trajectory of your life, then man, please listen up. And as it's out of love, I've taken the time to try to make the best case, the best arguments I know to get you to listen because nothing's going to so impact your life as this decision will. Nothing will so ripple into your emotional well-being, your physical health, and your financial health. All of these are so poorly connected to this decision. How you choose here impacts everything else. And that's why God has so much to say to us in his word about staying away from sexual immorality and and pursuing righteousness and and becoming morally excellent. You know, there's real physical consequences to going down our own path. It's not just the loss of reputation and credibility, but as Proverbs 5 starts off with, how in the end you will groan in anguish and disease. Man, that's more true today than ever before. As Matt Chandler points out, I love it when the science catches up with the Bible. And although this was written some 3,000 plus years ago, today we know that you are at greater risk of contracting an STD than ever before. We've gone from the 1960s where your odds were one out of 50 of getting an STD to now, according to the Center of Disease Control's report of 2015, one out of two Sexually active young people will get a sexually transmitted disease by the time they reach age 25. One out of two. That's half 
of the sexually active young people in our, in our population today. 3.2 million new cases of STDs this year alone. And a lot of those are completely incurable. You know, diseases like herpes and HIV, I mean, you get one of those and it's for life. It can impact your ability to have children, your risk of cancer, make it difficult to use the bathroom, and in many cases, it can end your life. In fact, did you know that according to PBS.org, we have had about 1.3 million Americans die on the battlefield. Every war from the War of Independence to the modern wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. But in comparison, according to avert.org, we've had more people die from the HIV virus or who currently are HIV positive than all of those wars combined. That's astounding. This year alone, 50,000 more Americans, despite incredible amounts of funding and prevention methods that are publicized and commercialized everywhere, will contract HIV this year. It's a fight that we're just not getting ahead on. And the reason is, is people aren't practicing self-control and moral excellence. And that's the reality, that we are in a real battle. But unfortunately, it's not just the physical damage that's happening to our young people. It's also the emotional damage. Do you know what the new leading cause of death is among teenage girls worldwide? As of May 2015, the World Health Organization came out with a new ranking. The new number one cause of death for 2015 for teenage girls ages 15 to 18, it wasn't famine. It wasn't war. It wasn't auto accidents. It wasn't texting and driving. It wasn't malaria. And it wasn't even sexually transmitted diseases. It was suicide. Suicide is the new leading cause of death of teenage girls worldwide. You know that a study was done here in America. It's called the American Longitudinal Study on Adolescent Health. It found that teenage girls who engage in sexual activity are 6.8 times more likely to attempt suicide than those who don't have sex. They're 6.8 times more likely. See, what happens in a female brain, even after a 20-second intimate hug with her boyfriend, we now know on a neuroscience level, an oxytocin bond begins to form in her brain. And when that relationship ends, that bond breaks, which often causes depression and suicidal thoughts. And that on a neuroscientific level today, we have a much better explanation and understanding of what happens to the emotional health of young people. See, the average young person who begins to sleep with their boyfriend often do so because they believe it will save the relationship. And sometimes that's even the excuse that's used to justify the action in the first place. But as Pam Stenzel points out in her book and uh, series on uh, sex has a price tag, she says this, that the average teenage relationship doesn't last three years, doesn't last three months, but it's over in three weeks when they have sex. And there's no protection in the world that will save them from that broken heart. And as much as our society pushes down condoms and safe sex, and that can help mitigate pregnancy and STDs, it does nothing for their emotional well-being. That is always going to be a price. That's always going to be a consequence. And, and, and if you think that's just for young people, let me just tell you, it can negatively impact your ability to have a successful marriage as well. Indiana State University found that if a couple just practices abstinence, it will decrease their divorce rate by 10%. 
And in the series Romance Without Regrets, a great book uh, published by Chicago University Press, they have some incredible evidence on virginity. They found that if a girl, uh, I'm sorry, if a guy marries as a virgin, his divorce rate drops by 63%. If the girl marries as a virgin, their divorce rate drops by 76%. And if they both marry as a virgin, they're among the most statistically probable couple to stay together. Why? Because the way God designed it from the Garden of Eden till now is for one man and one woman to come together in holy matrimony and that marriage to be unified under God. You know, they did a study about who's having the best intimacy in America today. And uh, it was published in USA Today. The article, the name of the article is great. They said, aha, call it revenge of the church ladies. (laughs) It found that church ladies and their husbands ranked number one in America today for the most satisfied relationships. That despite everything we see on on television and in the movies and in music videos about those who have the best sex, uh, it's all short-lived and they're all unsatisfied. I had a young man at one of the services I was speaking at, uh, you know, tell me, he's like, well, what about, you know, um, one of these uh, hip-hop guys who's out there with all these women? And uh, it was like um, one of the the dogs, like bulldog, pit bull, one of the dogs. And... (laughs) And he's like, look, he looks like he's having a great time. And I said, yeah, I can't deny he's having a great time. I don't, I don't deny sin's not fun. I'm not saying it's not fun and pleasurable. Of course it is. Uh, if, 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 it did, if it wasn't, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't exist. I said, no, no, that's true. I said, but when was, let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw a guy like that celebrating his 30th wedding anniversary? When? Never. You don't see it because having immoral relationships doesn't brood doesn't breed confidence in a healthy matrimony relationship. In other words, what you do before marriage is what you bring into marriage. So ladies and gentlemen, don't don't deceive yourself if you're single like me into thinking that, hey, if I marry this person, it's going to change them. No, no, what you get before marriage is often amplified in the marriage relationship. So it's important, man, we choose wisely. Choose people who match well with our values and our beliefs that we're equally yoked. Gosh, that's important. You can do things the right way. But ongoing sexual sin will always have three consequences. Before I get to that, I just want to point out this chart. This is a pretty astounding chart to me. When I found this one, it it just kind of blew my mind. What this chart says is that if you sleep with someone and they've had other partners or that person has as many partners as you've had, it becomes a force multiplier effect. And, and that the average American who has eight partners in their lifetime, and if all of those eight partners have had eight partners, depending on where you are in the chain, you've been exposed up to 255 different people. And so there's this force multiplying effect of how it impacts your health and your relationships. So even if you're careful in who you sleep with and how you go about it, there is still a risk because the, the force multiplying effect says the more, you, the more people you have and the more they've had, the greater your risk goes. So it's important that we understand God's word isn't there to ruin our fun. It's to safeguard us from things like this. It's so we don't have to have that conversation with our future spouse about the risks and health side effects they may face by marrying you. 
the consequences are threefold. It always is going to harm your physical well-being. Whether it's emotional or physical, we know there's always consequences. Ongoing sexual sin will always catch up to you. Always. You know, I've never met, I've never met some, a couple that waited for marriage who wished they didn't. But I have met plenty of couples who wished they did. You know, it's hard to have objective truth statements when it comes to relationship, but there's one. I've never met a couple who waited for marriage who said, man, I wish we would have fooled around more before marriage. And I've never met, at least not a happy couple, uh, never met uh, a couple who didn't wait for marriage and, and, and say they, they wish they would, would, wouldn't have. They wish they would have. And, and so that's truth we can apply to our life because, man, it's going to harm your physical well-being. It's going to ruin your intimacy with the Lord. You can't live a double life of sexual sin and follow the Lord at the same time. They're inconsistent. You can, spirit and uh, light and darkness can't coexist. Oil and water don't mix. So ongoing sexual sin is going to separate you from God. Now, listen, if you've had sin in your past, that, that's not to bring that back up and, and to keep you separate from the Lord. No, that's the enemy who wants to bring your past back into the light. But ongoing sexual sin is totally different because there's a huge difference be- between being a Christian who sins, which is all of us, and being one who's living a lifestyle of sin. One is the open rejection of God's word and his standard, and the other is a redeemed sinner saved by grace. Which one are you? Because you're either one or the other. And and, and what the Bible says is that we should choose this day who we're going to serve. You can't serve two masters. They're going opposite directions. And and so I just want to lay this down for you guys, that when you think about your testimony and your intimacy with the Lord, remember the last thing it's always going to do is damage your credibility. And I was talking with a young man whose friends in high school is a football star, football stud in Texas, had a chance to go out there and speak at his school. And he was telling me about how two of his friends, um, two that, one of his really close friends and a girl that, that, that he was good friends with, how, how they started sleeping together and how it dramatically changed his view of them and their relationship. And I remember asking Taylor, and I said, Taylor, how would that, how would that impact his credibility with you? Like, if he was to pull you aside, and if he was to see you, like, smoking marijuana, and and, and he was to tell you not to do it, you're going to listen to him still? He said, no way. He's lost all credibility with me now. And and that's the truth. Listen, when we sin sexually, this is why so many pastors lose their ministry, right? Because if they sin in this area, you lose credibility. You know, it's, it's funny, too, because, like, Late night show talk host, they'll never mention a pastor's name until he stumbles in this area. And, and then it's their top headline, right? Now, they don't care who he is, but then once he, oh, he's had an affair. Oh, man, now they're making a joke and it's part of their top five. Man, that's the reality that we're living in. So that's why it's so important. We're on our guard. Listen, if sexual sin can take down the wisest man in the Bible, the strongest man in the Bible, and the man after God's own heart, better take it seriously because King Solomon, despite all of his wisdom, was extremely foolish when it came to sexual immorality and hooking up with the wrong women. Samson, despite all of his physical strength, couldn't resist sexual temptation. And King David, despite how much he loved the Lord and wanted to walk with him, set himself up for failure. 
he, he did what I call the three moves back rule. You know, no one makes the mistake in the moment they make it. There's always at least three steps that take them there. Nobody just wakes up in bed with someone. It doesn't work that way. There's always steps that take you down that path. And for King David, if you read through the story, you'll see, number one, he's where he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be with his men in battle. Instead, he's kicking it at home. The second thing we see is him, he's watching something he's not supposed to be watching, a, a, a naked woman taking a bath. And then the third thing he does is he invites her over. Then he has the affair. Then he kills her husband. Then his firstborn son dies. Then his sons replicate his behavior, and it ends up ripping the kingdom from him. But if you were to ask David that morning, hey, are you going to do the biggest mistake of your life that you'll regret for the rest of your life? There's no way, right? Because the things you regret in life are not the choices you didn't know better, but they're the choices you knew better, and yet you chose to go your own way. You set yourself up for failure. And and so listen to what God is saying to you because he's trying to rescue you from destroying your life and your testimony. When I was studying for the attorney bar exam at my law school, I became friends with these really buff, like model material Persian guys. Um, they were also studying for the bar exam. So we were like in the trenches together. And uh, these guys were not morally excellent dudes. They were um, definitely a, what you might call players a bit. And um, anyways, we became friends though. And they, they were talking with me. They got to know me and they, they saw this ring on my finger and they're like, Hey, you know, Griffith, my friend, what is this ring you have, you know? <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know, I've made this virginity vow and that I'm, you know, saving myself for marriage. And you would have thought I told him like my mother was an elephant or something because they were just, he was, he was just shocked. His response was, was priceless. He's like, oh, oh, my friend, there, there are no guys, no guys do this anymore, my friend. You are like the only one left. You're like the last of the Mohicans, last of your tribe. And I said, yo, that may be true, but even if I'm only one, I am still proving it can be done. And if God, as my witness, I can do it, you can do it too. And I'll tell you what, nothing opened up the opportunity more for me to share the love of Christ with those men than for them to see someone who was willing to live it, who was willing to sacrifice. And and I'm not a perfect person and I flaw and I have my own things. But man, honoring God in this area opened up the opportunity for me to pray with one of those guys and have a testimony with the other. And that's so true for us. Man, God wants us to impact the lives of other people. There are other Persians out there. (laughs) Other non-believers. God can use this area of your life to have a testimony. So what does your testimony say about you? Line number two. As long as it's romantic and artistic, I can watch whatever I want. Man, I've heard this one. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I can't, so many Christians have told me like, hey, oh, the, ro- the, the notebook is so romantic. Uh, the Titanic movie, I love that movie. Uh, or even for young men, you know, Iron Man and, and now Deadpool has become their, their thing. I even had one young lady tell me that she thought Fifty Shades of Grey was completely acceptable, even though it promotes sexual immorality and, and barbaric violent sex at that. And yet that's so much what is being allowed in the Christian homes and into the eyes of of Christian young people today. 
And, and, and let me just tell you that if you are allowing garbage in, as my mother taught me, it's only a matter of time before that garbage comes back out. Our culture is constantly using sex to sell us things and to sell us lies. I mean, you, you just turn on the television and it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, for everything, everything from domain names to, to shoes to automobiles, everything is sold with sex. But it's always lying to us. It's always presenting sex as this thing that doesn't come with any consequences, that you can just take a test drive and it won't mean anything. We, we have so many young people who have bought into the idea of the hookup culture, that they can just hook up and it won't mean anything. No, sex always means something. It means you're inter- eternally imprinting your soul with that person. That, there, that as the Bible says, two become one, that there's this oneness that takes place that's way beyond just the physical, it's spiritual. That there's this soul unity that takes place that will be with you for the rest of your life. That's a real impact on your life. It really matters. But the world is full of lies. It makes it look like it's just something you can just try on and then throw aside. Like I saw this commercial the other day. Um, it was for dentine ice gum. And I knew it was a lie right when I saw it. I'm like, this is a lie. But the, the commercial went something like this. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, this, you know, single dude, is, he's at this, like, club all alone. And he starts chewing dentine ice gum. And out of nowhere, this super attractive woman comes up and starts making out with him and kissing him. And when I saw that, I'm like, that's a lie. I've been chewing that gum for years. <laughs> that's never happened to me. <laughs> never happened. And yet, those are the commercials that are coming through our televisions all the time. And the reality is, we've got to understand this core truth. You will not remain sexually pure if you consistently entice your lust. Not going to do it. If that's what your diet consists of, if you don't have time to read God's word because you got to catch your favorite program and you are a habitual television watcher and movie watcher and internet surfer and social media guru, well, let me just tell you, that's going to impact your life. That's going to catch up to you. Uh, there's a new book out called What the Dog Knew that's talking about how uh, communication and social time in the average American home is dramatically changing. Some of you already know this, that through the the rise of cell phone and social media, people are changing the way they use their time and communicate. Do you know how many hours a day, or I'm sorry, how many hours a week the average teenager now spends on their cell phone, social media, video games, television, movies, and music? It's now 50 hours a week for the average American teenager, which means if they stay at that rate and keep that diet up for the rest of their life, 10 years of their life will be wasted on things that don't matter. And let me just tell you, young men that are into the super video game scene, like, I understand you want to have fun and stuff, but man, if that's your life, there's no, like, no girlfriend's going to ask you, no job application be like, hey, did you save the princess in Mario? Nobody's going to care, okay? What they are going to care about, though, is how you use your time. 
And if how you use your time is constantly filling your mind with things that may not necessarily bad, but certainly isn't good for you, and that's all what you're dieting on, then that's going to impact the way you view the world. So don't deceive yourself is what the Bible's going to say. The Bible's going to say, listen, if you fill your mind with the garbage of this world, if that's what your diet is, it's going to catch up with you. And you should at least be honest and not deceive yourself and say, I'm walking with God and yet filling my mind with everything the world has to offer. Because those two things are always going to be inconsistent. I mentioned last service and it's worth repeating that pornography has seeped in to our culture in a way we've never anticipated or expected. The average age now, according to the Wilberforce Project, when young people begin seeing hardcore pornography, is now age 11. And the amount of porn those 11-year-olds can see in just two weeks, they have a habitual habit the amount of porn they can see in two weeks is more than someone from the World War II generation would have seen in their entire lifetime because it's only a click away. You know, Playboy is stopping their paid subscription services not because they are somehow taking a stance against porn. It's just they can't compete with the free market anymore. It's so accessible. It's everywhere and everything. And listen to me, parents. And teenagers, if you don't have accountability in your life, if you don't have safeguards in your life, then let me just tell you, it's only a matter of time before it becomes so easy for you to take the bait. If you don't have anything protecting you, then you're like a man driving with a donut on Highway 18 and without control of his appetite. Because, see, God's word is meant to provide guardrails in our life. And one of the things he's going to tell us is we've got to have accountability. And, and, and our, our culture is becoming so aggressive in its push for younger children to engage in sex at younger ages that we have to take a stand. And that the church needs parents who are proactive and are willing to take it on. DoSomething.org found that 40% of teenagers admit to sending or posting sexual content and 24% of teenage girls uh, admit to doing sexting, which is sending sexually explicit images of themselves over to someone else. Most of those images, by the way, will be shared to a second or third party. And that's where cyberbullying and other things come, come from and take place, which is also pressuring and a cause of suicide among teenage girls today. See, the truth is, what we fill our mind with is going to impact our behavior. Heard the story of a grandfather putting it to his grandson this way. He said, grandson, I have two wolves fighting for control of my mind. There's the bad wolf that wants me to do all the wrong things and make all the bad choices. Then there's the good wolf that wants me to make the right choices and do all the right things. And the grandson asked his grandfather, he said, grandfather, which, which wolf will win? And the grandfather responded, whichever wolf I feed the most, whichever one I feed the most, what wolf are you feeding today? Because what you feed the wolf is going to impact your thoughts and it's going to impact your lifestyle. Let's put it down this way. Core truth number two is that to be pure, you must feed the right wolf. As Romans 12, 2 puts it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 2. 
we got to renew our minds. Man, we got we to gotta take the garbage out. You know, the one thing that we know about studies on pornography, as the book Wired for Intimacy by William Strutters points out, is that it becomes addictive and that your brain develops a neural pathway that as young men and women begin consuming pornography, the dopamine triggers in their brain releases a chemical that makes it pleasurable and it makes it addictive so that they always want more and more of it. But the good news is that there's also studies done on neuroplasticity that show that the brain can heal itself and recover if it's given enough time away from the thing that's causing sexual arousal. And see, because there's so much porn and it's so accessible, young, young men and women are burning the neural receptors out of their brains at a young age. And if they don't stop, it will eventually affect them till they'll get to the point where Hugh Hefner has gotten. I don't know if you heard about Hugh Hefner talking about sexual arousal, but he said this. The only thing that gives him sexual arousal today, the, the female body doesn't do it anymore. He has to watch graphic gay pornography. And, and I guarantee you, the dopamine receptors, the neural receptors in his, his brain, he's fried them. But for us, we're not past the point of no return. I don't care how bad your addiction is. Today is the day you can begin the road to recovery because today is the day you can get help and accountability and begin to take the first steps. And as the studies of neuroplasticity show us that, man, the brain can heal. You're not beyond the saving grace of, our, uh, of God, our Father. And, and so start that road to recovery today. We've got to begin to evaluate our media. We've got to evaluate the things we watch. I liked how the cultural philosophers... The black IPs put it in their song, Where is the Love? They said this, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulder. As I'm getting older, you all people gets colder. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information always shown by the media. Negative images, it's the main criteria. Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria. Kids want to act like what they see in the cinema. Yo, whatever happened to the values of humanity? And as they go on to ask, where, where is the love? And let me tell you, I can tell you where the values have gone. They've gone on the internet and on social media, and, and, and they're deplorable. And it's time that we take a stand to say, man, God's plan is much different than this. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that we're going to do things different. The, the media we're going to consume, the things we're going to allow to saturate our household is going to be very different than what the world allows. And, and, and let me tell you where that can begin. That can just begin by evaluating the movies that you have, the Internet sites that you visit. And, and I've listed for you some software uh, that you can access from both Covenant Eyes and X3 Watch on the back of your handout. I, I encourage and implore every parent to have something. You don't have to use those, but man, have, some, have something. Have some sort of standard of open access in your home. H have accountability and oversight to protect your kids. You know, no parent would let their kid just have free reign uh, of an illegal substance that would mess up their mind. And yet so many parents naively allow their kids unlimited access to the internet without any parental controls. And so, man, it's so important, parents, that we step up and, and, and that you're involved in your kid's life and you know what their media is because we can't deceive ourselves. 
As 1 Corinthians 3.18 puts it, don't deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise in the ways of the world, you should give up that wisdom in order to become really wise. And, And that begins with us understanding we deceive ourselves if we think we can live like the rest of the world and watch what the rest of the world watch and expect to be Christians. Those two things are inconsistent and irreconcilable. So don't deceive yourself. And that brings me to lie number three. I can be morally pure without a plan or accountability. I can be morally pure without a plan or accountability. I, man, I, I can just tell you so many people so many young people even for, for the longest time think they can fight this purity battle alone, right? Like they just, they just get in this endless cycle where they mess up and then they pray and then they mess up and then they pray, but then they never, they never get accountability. They never do what the Bible clearly tells them to do to confess their sins one to another. And, and, and so they never break that cycle because they never bring it out into the light. And so if you're struggling with secret sin and nobody else knows, let me just tell you, you're going to continue to struggle with it for as long as you allow it to be your own thing. You are never called to fight this battle on your own. You're always called to have at least one other person to be your accountability and or mentor in your life. Do you have someone? If not, today's the day. Man, this church has some great pastoral staff. You guys got some great counselors, some great people here who are willing to talk and encourage you. So do it today. Find someone. Reach out to the church. Get someone who will help you and pray with you. That's where the road to recovery begins. It's got to start there. Some of you may be listening to this talk, though, and your history of your life may be making it a difficult talk to listen to. And I've had people come up and tell me after talks like this, man, Griff, I wish I would have had your talk fill in the blank back then. I wish I would have had your talk then. And then still others come to me and they tell me of their history of abuse and rape and how much they feel like they can't get out from it. And I can tell you the story of one young man who was struggling with just that thing and he had never told another soul. And let me tell you, if that's you today, the road to recovery for this young man came and has begun the road to healing when he came forward and at least began to talk to other people about it. And and, and let me just tell you, I believe if Jesus was here, the thing he would want me to say to you is, man, it is not your fault. It is so not your fault. And I'm so sorry that's happened to you. But you have to reach out and get counseling because you're never called to carry that weight alone. The best thing that I can do or any other pastor or or speaker could possibly do talking on this subject is encourage you to get counseling. And so if this is something you're struggling with or dealing with, please, I implore you, reach out to your church staff. They have some great people ready to counsel and help you on this subject area. So let's talk about how we can be successful. As the wise man once said, most people don't plan to fail. Most people fail to plan. So let's talk about some core truths that we need to apply. Number one, we need to apply that you must team up. Core truth number one, you must team up with a like-minded partner. James 5.16 puts it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
That's where it's got to start. I mean, listen, parents, students, if you're struggling with sexual sin, start with that confession today. Man, don't, don't leave this church until you find someone you can pray with. We'll stay afterwards and we'll pray with you. Seek out one of the pastors. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll pray with you about it. Remember that the woman caught in the, the act of adultery in, in John 8? Remember how the Pharisees brought her to Jesus and said, our law says we can stone her. What, what do you say? And how did Jesus respond? Did Jesus say, well, I guess it's, you know, um, you without sin, go cast the first stone, right? That's what he said. And, and then they all left, right? So then it was just Jesus and the woman there. And then what did Jesus say to her? Did he say, well, I guess it's up to me. I'm the only perfect one here, so I'll go and stone you. <laughs> no, no, right? No, but what Jesus did say is that neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more or go and leave this lifestyle of sin. Go and leave this. I'm calling you out of this. So hear me, if you are in sexual sin, whether it's pornography, whether it's an affair, whether it's just, you know, sleeping with your boyfriend, girlfriend, I'm calling you out of that. Jesus is calling you out of that. And as Paul says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Listen, I know this is extremely difficult, but the road to recovery begins when you answer the call, yes. Yes, I want out. So take that, yeah, take that answer today. Core truth number two. Almost done. To be successful, you must have a plan. You know, the Navy SEALs have this great slogan. They say this, the more you sweat in peacetime, the less you bleed in war. The more you sweat in peacetime, the less you bleed in war. Let me suggest to you that there are at least three standards that you should have for your life. Now, I've provided a second handout for you that has seven different standards you can look at. You may say, Griff, I, I don't agree with this one. or I, I don't like this one. Listen, the point is you should have standards. You should have your own plan. And let me suggest to you, you should have them at least in three areas. The first area you should have a standard is in who you will date in your dating relationships. So standard number one is dating relationships. You know, this, this may surprise some of you, but I'm actually a fan of missionary dating. If you've heard of that before, I'm a fan of missionary dating. If by missionary dating, you mean you're going to date a missionary. I'm a fan of that. But if by missionary dating, you mean like, hey, I'm going to go and date this non-believer who doesn't have the same faith or values as I do, but through like making out with them and romantic relationship with them, I'm going to bring them to Jesus. Let me just tell you, you're setting yourself up for failure because it's a lot easy, easier for them to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. And, and, and the thing we know about being unequally yoked is that it never plows the field correctly. And so when Paul gives us the analogy that says we shouldn't be unequally yoked, he's telling us, look, we got to team up with someone who has the same faith and values because there are a lot of people who will call themselves Christians, right? There are a lot of girls and guys and, and, and guys who will come up to the single girls here and be like, man, Jesus is my homeboy, but let's make out in the back of my car. And, and you need to know that those kind of guys, they're living a lifestyle that's contrary to what God has called them to do. Because what Paul says the standard is, is that we're to treat the, the younger women as sisters in Christ with absolute purity. So you can ask that young man, well, how is that treating me as your sister in Christ with absolute purity? That's a great standard to apply. 
Number two, though, the second standard you should have is one on the media. Man, if you have garbage in your life today, throw it out. Don't, don't keep those movies or magazines or websites or anything. I mean, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. As Jesus, remember that graphic story where Jesus says, if your left eye offends you to tear it out? Like, I don't think he's actually advocating for you to, you know, do masochism or something on your face. But what he is saying is do whatever it takes to remove that temptation from your life. You got some of you I know need to go home and you need to do some excavating. You need to extract some things from your life and throw it in the garbage. Man, make that a priority when you get back home. And the third standard you got to have is in your relationships. Now, I realize I have both marriage relationships, single relationships, and maybe some who don't want any relationships. Wherever you are on that spectrum, though, you've got to have standards. You know, I've heard uh, of pastors who who put the standard that they just won't be alone with a female of the opposite sex in the same car or in the same room. And it's it's because they're putting safeguards in, in their life to protect their marriage. What safeguards do you have to protect your marriage? For those of us who are single, do you have an answer to the question of how far is too far? Because as the Chinese Proverbs tell us, tells us that he who aims for nothing is bound to hit it, right? So if you have no moral standards for your dating relationships, then how do you know when you've crossed the line? Right? You've got to set something practical. And what Dr. Dobson says in his 12, uh, it, when he examines the 12 steps of sexual intimacy, he says that anything past closed mouth kissing is too far. And that's for a couple that's ready for a marriage relationship. Because of the sexual desires and hormones that that arouses, it becomes very difficult to stop. Now, that's not a license to go and start making out with someone, but that's saying that this is the minimum or the maximum standard you should allow in a romantic relationship outside of marriage. Because it's so easy to go from one step to the next. We need to have a plan in place so that we can be successful like Joseph who when he was propositioned, he left his coat behind and he ran out the door. I heard the story of a gas inspector who was training a rookie gas inspector on how to check the meters and the the gas lines on the different houses. You know, it was a safety and a measuring check. And so they parked their truck at one end of the alley and they went down and they checked all of the houses until they got to the very end. When they got to the last house in the alley, They noticed this elderly woman uh, who had just taken a shower and was in like her shower coat and had curls in her hair, um, watching them the whole time, watching them as a hawk. So they just ignored her and and went about their business of checking the lines and checking the meters. And and when they finished, you know, the the veteran uh, gas inspector says to the rookie gas inspector, hey, I'll, I'll race you back to the truck. And so before they knew it, they both took off running full speed down the alley. And before they got halfway down the alley, they noticed this elderly woman running out of her house full speed in her house coat with curls in her hair chasing after them. And so they had to stop and ask this woman, what, why are you chasing us, right? So they turn around, they're like, woman, why are you chasing us? And she says, I don't know, but when I see gas inspectors run from my house, I think I better run too, You know, the three moves back rule tells us that there's often warning signs that keep us from going where we don't want to go. We have to be in tune with God's spirit because as Galatians 5 says that if we live in the spirit, we won't obey the desires of the flesh. 
So as we walk with God, we can honor the Lord because Psalms 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By abiding in your word. By abiding in your word. That word abiding is daily. We got to daily look at this as a battle. Every day I'm fighting a new battle. It doesn't go away. I got to be ready. I got to be in this fight to win it. Because the easiest way for me to be a casualty is to realize there's not a battle going on. So let's wake up as a church and as a community, encourage one another. While today is the day, while the time is now, let's take a stand for moral excellence. In closing, let me just say, you know, we've dealt with three of the big lies today. There's other ones. One of the biggest ones, though, is the lie that God is not good. You know, I've been to two different types of weddings. Been to the type of wedding where they waited, and I've been to the type where they didn't. In fact, I went to my, my friend Jim's wedding, who I'll call Jim, uh, who rented out Lake Arrowhead Resort. It's one of the most romantic destinations, big money, uh, really a nice place to have a wedding. It was extremely romantic setting. Um, his wife, his bride-to-be was pregnant. They had gone too far, and, uh, and so they were having a nice wedding. And, and I was in the wedding, and I had a great time. It was nice, enjoyed it. But then I went to my friend Ashley Hillman's wedding. And they just had their wedding at a traditional church. wasn't at a very special location. It uh, wasn't the most romantic scenery or anything like that. But her and her husband waited. And, and I don't have any scientific data on this, but let me tell you, at wedding number two, the feeling was totally different. There wasn't a romantic excitement energy in the air in wedding number two that wasn't in wedding number one. That in wedding number two, there was this nervousness, this energy that everybody could feel that something was changing, that there was a, a, a brother and sister relationship that was now becoming husband and wife, that they had honored one another before marriage. And now we are seeing a special marriage take place in front of our eyes. Man, it was special. Don't you want that kind of wedding, young people? Don't you want the kind of wedding that can honor the Lord? Man, we, let me tell you, your parents and I want nothing more for you to be able to look at your future bride and tell them, man, I, I loved you so much. I, I took a vow. I, I sacrificed for you. I was willing to wait for you. I loved you and prayed for you before I ever knew you because I was willing to wait. And then I want you to invite me to that wedding because I hear weddings are a great place to meet someone. So... <laughs> But over 15 years ago, I sat at a restaurant with my parents and I made a decision of my own volition to wait. I never imagined I'd be waiting so long. I never imagined how difficult it would be. I, I, I never knew the, the, the wrath of, of the unfulfilled desire and appetite. It's a huge struggle. I, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you it has been a real battle. And if I can give you the secret of my success, I would tell you it's that I learned early on that I'm weak and that I can fall as easy as the next person. And that if I don't put the right safeguards in place, I'll become just another victim of my own desires. But I made a commitment and I meant it. And I affirm it to this day because I've decided only two people can have my moral excellence ring. I still desire to be married Hope to someday, hope to be able to look at my future bride and, and tell her how much I loved her. 
But if that day doesn't happen and I die single, then the second person who can have my ring is the mortician. And he can pry it from my cold, dead hand, to borrow from Charleston Heston. Because there's no other way my commitment can end. Is that your commitment, singles? Are you with me on that? Because if you're willing to compromise anywhere else along the way, you will. If it becomes too hard, too long, just give it enough time, you'll fall. But if you're willing to say, man, God help me, but to the death, I make my commitment. Because I'd rather die with my honor than live for pleasure. That's the kind of young person God can do some pretty amazing things with. I don't know what battles you're going to have to fight, what temptations you'll have to overcome, but I know this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we do not, we do not serve the defeated foe. We live in victory. And if all of that's not good enough, then I hope you'll remember with me that one day, we'll all stand before Christ and have to give an account for our life. You know what I think he'll say to me? It's the same thing he'll say to all of you. He'll say to me, you know, Griff, in your, way, in your life, waiting wasn't respected. You were mocked for it. You suffered for it. You were lonely for it. And it largely went unnoticed. But I noticed And it was a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear well done? Don't you? Will you pray with me? Dear Lord God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share my heart. God, I know that your plans for us are for the good, to have the abundant life. God, I pray for any of those who are dealing with guilt over past sins. May they know that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you have died on the cross once and for all, for all of their sins, and you have taken it as far as the east is from the west, and you have washed them white as snow. For those who have been abused, God, Lord, I pray that they would get counseling and get help. They would not carry that weight alone. To the married couples out there, Lord, I pray for strong marriages. I pray for marriages that would model Christ's purity and love for one another, that that show us the kind of marriages that singles like myself would desire, that their kids could look up to. Pray for us singles, God, who are lonely and struggling and, and, and at times fighting what seems like a a, a never-ending war. God, I pray that you would give us strength to carry on. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray that Cornerstone would be holy and set apart for your name, that in your name they would honor you, not just with their words or in their songs, but in their purity, that they would truly be a sacred congregation set apart for your name, holy and acceptable, God, I pray that you would help us to remove any ground we've seceded to the enemy. May we take that ground back today. God, may you restore our souls to a right standing before you. And may we know that no matter how dark it is, your light can pierce the darkness and that you can restore us to a right relationship with you. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation for them. May today be the day they stop pretending 
They stop just going through the motions and, and they come to know you as their real Lord and Savior. God, may that, may today be that day. God, I pray your blessing on this congregation now. In the name of Jesus, amen.